Okay, so here we are, our second uh, session studying the Visuddhimagga. We're studying the chapter one, Sila Nidesa, and we've gotten to section 26. So we're going to, it's going to start by enumerating, right? Uh, no, we've done the enumeration and now we're going to explain the enumeration. So, Aurora, you want to start us on 26? Sure. Herein, in the section dealing with that of one kind, the meaning should be understood as already stated. In the section dealing with that of two kinds, fulfilling a training precept announced by the Blessed One thus, this should be done is keeping. Not doing what is prohibited by him thus, this should not be done, is avoiding. Herein, meaning is this. They keep auntie within that. They proceed as people who fulfill the virtues, thus is keeping charita. They preserve, they protect, they avoid, that is, is thus it is avoiding. Herein, keeping is accomplished by faith and energy. Avoiding by faith and mindfulness. This is how it is of two kinds as keeping and avoiding. So there are two aspects of morality. There are the things that should be done, or there's the sense of morality in, in that it's uh, something that is to be done. And then there's the sense of this should not be done. And in fact, part of morality is specific, um, for, for monks anyway, there's many things that are specifically required. Not many things, but there are certain things. Every couple of weeks we have to get together and recite the training rules. Um, there are certain protocols that have to be observed when a monk, when a senior monk arrives at your monastery to receive his bowl and so on. So all of that is morality in, in terms of... Uh, if you refrain from doing something, and and that applies, of course, to lay people as well, you you could apply this sort of to to many uh, activities. Morality is when you see someone fall on the side of the road. You know, if you don't help them up, you could, I mean, as an example, potentially say that's sort of an immoral abstinence. Thank you. Bond, can you read 27? In the second dyad, good behavior is the best kind of behavior. Good behavior itself is that of good behavior, or what is announced for the sake of good behavior is that of good behavior. This is a term for virtue other than that which has livelihood as eighth. It is the initial stage of the life of purity consisting in the path. Thus it is that of the beginning of the life of purity. This is a term for the virtue that has Oh, there's something wrong with your audio. the uh, Yeah, Bond, we can't hear you here. Yeah, Bond, you may have to log out and log back in. Um, maybe while you're doing that, maybe Matthew can... Pick that up. Sure. This is a term for the virtue that has livelihood as eighth. It is the initial stage of the path because it has actually to be purified in the prior stage too. Hence it is said, but his bodily action, his verbal action, and his livelihood has already been purified earlier. Or the training precepts called lesser and minor are that of good behavior, and the rest are that of the beginning of the life of purity. Or what is included in the double code, the, the bhikkhus and the bhikkhunis, patimoka, is that of the beginning of the life of purity. And that included in the duties set out in the khandakas of the vinaya is that of good behavior. Through its perfection, that of the beginning of the life of purity comes to be perfected. Hence it is said also that this bhikkhu has, that shall fulfill the state consisting in the beginning of the life of purity without having fulfilled the state consisting in good behavior. That is not possible. So it is of two kinds, as that of good behavior and that of the beginning of the life of purity. So someone had questions about this one? 
Yes, specifically where it says that the virtue that has livelihood as eighth. Yeah, there's it's called the Ajivatamaka Sila, with the Sila that has it's exactly translated that Sila which has livelihood as the eighth. There's a footnote about it. It refers to the first three precepts plus the four types of wrong speech and then um, livelihood as the eighth. <coughs> it's a sort of precept that Buddhists like, the lay Buddhists like to take. It's sort of an extension of the five precepts. Okay. It's interesting because it doesn't include... Um, Drugs, uh, alcohol, doesn't include abstinence from alcohol, which is which makes me not that inclined to encourage it. Or maybe you could say that one should keep the five precepts and these eight precepts. I don't know. It's it's an oddity to me. Because how can you do without the fifth precept? I'm not sure. Just for the sake of being complete, I'll just read the footnote here because it kind of explains what we're talking about. The three kinds of profitable body comma or action, not killing or stealing or indulging in sexual misconduct. The four kinds of profitable verbal comma or action from refraining from lying, malicious speech, harsh speech and gossip, and right livelihood is the eighth. Okay, next. Yes, Richard, read 28. In the third diet, virtuous abstinence is simply abstaining, abstention from killing living, living things, etc. The other kind, consisting of volition, etc., a virtue as non-abstinence. So it is of two kinds, as abstinence and non-abstinence. That's similar to the earlier one. Repeat. In the fourth dyad, there are two kinds of dependence, through craving and dependence, through false views, here and that produced by one who wishes for a fortunate kind of becoming. Thus, through this virtuous conduct, right, I shall become a great deity or some minor deity is dependent through craving that produced through such false view about purification as purification is through virtuous conduct is dependent through false view but the supramundane and the mundane that is the prerequisite for the aforesaid supramundane as independent so it is two kinds as dependent and independent Stefano, can you read 30? Okay. Uh, in the fifth dyad, temporary virtue is that undertaken after deciding on a time limit. Lifelong virtue is that practiced in the same way, but undertaking it for as long as life lasts. So it is the two kinds as temporary and lifelong. In the sixth dyad, the limited is that seen to be limited by gain, fame, relatives, limbs, or life. The opposite is unlimited. And this is said in the Patisam Vida. What is virtue that has a limit? There is virtue that has gain as a limit. There is virtue that has fame as a limit. There is virtue that has relatives as a limit. There is virtue that has, that has limbs as its limit. There is virtue that has life as its limit. What is the virtue that has gain as its limit? Here someone with gain a cause here here's here someone with gain as cause, with gain as condition, with gain as reason, transgresses a training precept as undertaken. The virtue has gain as its limit and the rest should be elaborated in the same way. Also, 
in the answer dealing with the unlimited, it is said, what is virtue that does not have gain as its limit? Here someone does not, with gain as cause, with gain as condition, with gain as reason, even arouse the thought of transgressing a training precept as undertaken. How then shall he actually transgress it? That virtue does not have gain as its limit, and the rest should be elaborated in the same way. So it is of two kinds, as limited and unlimited. In the seventh dyad, all virtues subject to cankers is mundane. That not subject to cankers is super, super mundane. Herein, the mundane brings about improvement in future becoming and is a prerequisite for this escape from becoming. According as it is said, discipline is for the purpose of restraint. Restraint is for the purpose of non-remorse. Non-remorse is for the purpose of gladdening. Gladdening is for the purpose of happiness. Happiness is for the purpose of tranquility. Tranquility is for the purpose of bliss. Bliss is for the purpose of concentration. Concentration is for the purpose of correct knowledge and vision. Correct knowledge and vision is for the purpose of dispassion. Dispassion is for the purpose of fading away, of greed. Fading away is for the purpose of deliverance. And deliverance is for the purpose of knowledge and vision of deliverance. Knowledge and vision of deliverance is for the purpose of complete extinction, of craving, etc., through not clinging. Talk has that purpose, counsel has that purpose, support has that purpose, giving ear has that purpose. That is to say, the liberation of mind through not clinging. The supramundane brings about the escape from becoming and is the plane of reviewing knowledge. So it is of two kinds, as mundane and supramundane. I have a question about the previous one. Mm. Um, so when you don't... When you do something virtuous for no reason, just out of kindness, then it's unlimited virtuous? Yes? No, the the limited one means uh, you'll keep it as long as one of those things doesn't isn't threatened. So it's a difference between someone who keeps moral precepts when, like if a thief comes into your house and you're and he's going to steal your things, do you kill him? No. Do you break a precept in order to stop the thief? Or what if he's going to kill one of your family members? Or if he's going to kill you? you know, do you break precepts in order to save your life? This kind of thing. Oh, okay. It's between someone who does or doesn't do that. Right? That's, yeah. So it's limited by those things. So a person who, by whom it's unlimited wouldn't break the precepts even to save their life, for example. 32 seemed to be kind of a famous one. A few of us had recognized that, having seen that before. Oh. Mundane and super mundane. It's kind of interesting, actually, where it says that uh, it's super mundane is on the is on the plane of reviewing knowledge because reviewing knowledge is actually mundane I think what it means is um, one achieves it through the at the moment at the moment of coming back to the mundane realm one has a super mundane sila but it's kind of odd I would have thought it was the realm of maga and palanyana instead but that's a little bit technical I wouldn't worry about that But uh, it's the difference between that which is a support for the goal and that which brings about the goal. Right? So super mundane sila is actually it's part of the Eightfold Noble Path, of course, and that's the attainment of Nibbāna. Thank you. Aurora, can you read 33? Yes. In the first of the triads, the inferior is produced by inferior zeal, purity of consciousness, energy, or inquiry. 
the medium is produced by medium zeal and so forth, the superior by superior zeal and so on. That undertaken out of desire for fame is inferior. That undertaken out of desire for the fruits of merit is medium. That undertaken for the sake of the noble state thus, this has to be done, is superior. Or again, that defiled by self-praise and disparagement of others and so forth, thus, I am possessed of virtue, but these other bhikkhus are ill-conducted and evil-natured, is inferior. Undefiled mundane virtue is medium, supramundane is superior. Or again, that motivated by craving, the purpose of which is to enjoy continued existence, is inferior. That practiced for the purpose of one's own deliverance is medium. The virtue of the perfections practiced for the deliverance of all beings is superior. So it is of three kinds as inferior, medium, and superior. Yeah, the um, just a comment on the defiled. Defiled sila is uh, something the Buddha has talked about, where he says uh, sila is just the, the I think it's the, the branches of the tree. And it's like someone who goes into the forest looking for the wood and comes back with just twigs and branches. This is like a person who who is proud of their sila and, and feels like it's enough and holds themselves up and considers themselves to be uh, accomplished simply because of their keeping of sila, which is a common thing for monks and even lay people become complacent in the keeping of sila. That last part where it says the virtue of the perfections practice for the deliverance of all beings, mm-hmm. that sounds like the the Mahayana version of the Bodhisattva. No, it's the Theravada version of the Bodhisattva. Uh, all beings, right? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting how it says all beings, huh? Because there's no sense that a Buddha is inclined to... Let me see here what we have. Sambhasatanam, yeah, it's for the purpose of the freeing of all beings. It's interesting that it says all beings. It's obviously a Buddha has never enlightened all beings, that's not going to happen. I think it's just a yeah, it's just a expression. Thank you, Bond. You read thirty-four. Yeah, how's my audio? Is it all right? Oh, it sounds good now. Okay. Uh, in the second triad, that that practiced out of self-regard by one who regards self and desires to abandon what is unbecoming to self is is virtue giving precedence to self. That practice out of regard for the world and out of a desire to ward off the censure of the world is virtue giving precedence to the world. That practice out of regard for the Dhamma and out of desire to honor the majesty of the Dhamma is virtue giving precedence to to the Dhamma. So it is of three kinds, as giving precedence to self and so on. Yeah, I don't know about the word precedence here. It's, It's a bit misleading, I think, in English. I don't think his grammar is perfect here. Um, and it's not giving anything, it's taking, holding uh, self to be the highest. Adi means, adipateya means really the the chief or, or the pinnacle, the ideal. So this is, Buddha, this is the Buddha's teaching he's applying here is in, in terms of three types of precedent, of, um, Precedence is uh, three three ideals where you hold yourself up as the highest, you know, and you do things uh, thinking of of the benefit and the harm to self, and then the world is in regards to how the world feels about things, and uh, the Dhamma is doing things because it's according or not doing things because it's in discord with the Dhamma. 
I don't think precedence is quite exact, but the sense is there. Seems like almost preference might have been. Yeah, but the word is not preference. The word adipateya means like lord or master or highest or. Yeah, ideal. Thank you. Matthew, can you read 35? Yes. In the third triad, the virtue that in the dyads was called dependent is adhered to because it is adhered to through craving and false view. That practice by the magnanimous ordinary man as the prerequisite of the path and the, that associated with the path and trainers are not adhered to. That associated with trainers and non-trainers, fruition is tranquilized. So it is of three kinds, as adhered to and so on. These are terms that you come across, um, come across these terms throughout the teachings and the commentaries. Uh, the magnanimous ordinary man, I'm assuming they're talking about, let me see. Um, Putujana, yeah, Kalyana Putujana, which is a beautiful worldling. Kalyana Putujana means an ordinary being who's not enlightened uh, but has uh, a good heart. A seka, the trainer, these are, these, are, these are technical terms, it's not just colloquialisms, it's actually a term. <clears throat> trainer is. Um, from Sotapanna on up, it refers to a Sotapanna, Sakitagami, or an Anagami. That's the meaning there. So whenever you see that term, a trainee is actually, I think, what <coughs> we normally refer to it as. This means these three, the first three types of enlightened beings. It's a specific class of people. Thank you. Richard, can you read 36? In the fourth triad, that fulfilled by one who has committed no offense or has made amends after committing one is pure. So long as he has not made amends after committing an offense, it is impure. Virtue is virtue in one who is dubious after about whether a thing constitutes an offense or about what grade, what grade of offense has been committed. Has been committed or about whether he has committed an offense is dubious. Herein, the meditator should, pr should purify impure virtue. If dubious, he should avoid cases about which he is doubtful and should get his doubts cleared up. In this way, his mind will be kept at rest. So it is of three kinds as impure and so on. So the point here is some one person hasn't broken any rules and is keeping the rules. Another person is breaking the rules. And a third person isn't sure whether they're breaking the rules or not. And so they're un they're not dubious, they're they're uncertain. And that, that goes, you know, you did something and you're not sure was it okay? Did I break a rule or did I not break a rule? Sometimes you just don't know. Can't decide. And sometimes in we're just you're just worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and sometimes <laughs> unreasonably worried like these people who are well I don't know I, I guess I'm but uh, vegetarianism can often not just vegetarianism people who don't uh, who don't wear there was one guy when I did my first course who was telling us we shouldn't be using these ra uh, razor blades because they tested them on animals and that kind of thing so you, people who feel guilty because they're using these razor blades or something. Yeah, that can get very complicated. Yeah, yeah. Then... But what about supply and demand? Like, uh, continuing to buy meat increases the amount uh, that they would have to kill that to produce the meat. Yeah, but other people killing isn't breaking your morality. Okay. It's them who's breaking their morality. It's them who's breaking their own morality. Now, if you encourage someone to break their morality, then that's bad. But I think you'd have to do it intentionally. Like if you buy meat, you're, intent you're not saying, 
uh, hey, why don't you go out and kill more more beings? What you're saying is, oh, here's some dead flesh that I'd like to eat. Um, and so when you say you're encouraging them, it's uh, it's you're, it's misleading because you're not. Remember, Buddhism takes the mind as as the highest, and that's important. So your mind is in no way encouraging. Buying meat, I can't imagine anyone who, well, very few people who buy meat anyway, at least from the grocery store, are thinking, oh, if I buy this, they're going to kill more. Good, good, good. I think thinking, I recall, perhaps one of your videos had this in it. Did you go over this in a video of yours? I did, uh, and I, I conceded that buying meat could potentially be problematic. But I think it's 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 certainly not on par with killing. So you could say it's unwholesome somehow to buy meat when you have other choices at least. But it's cer- certainly not on par with killing or telling someone to kill or even encouraging someone to kill. But there, you know, there are more obvious examples where people just get feel guilty about things that they shouldn't by any means feel guilty about. Like stepping on an ant on the sidewalk, you know, and then you feel guilty because you stepped on an ant. Uh, running over a dog when you're driving down the street, that kind of thing. Tripping over a child when you didn't see them, that kind of thing. There was a monk once who, in the Vinaya, he sat down on a chair with a blanket on it, and there was an infant, a baby underneath the blanket, and he crushed the baby. <laughs> The discussion of whether he actually murdered the baby, and of course the answer was he didn't. But from then on, the Buddha said, whenever you sit down, you should check the chair first. See if there's a baby. Yeah. Just being careful. Yes. In the fifth triad, the virtue associated with the four paths and with the first three fruitions is that of the trainer. That associated with the fruition of arahantship is that of the non-trainer. The remaining kinds are that of the neither trainer nor non-trainer. So it is of three kinds as that of the trainer and so on. Yeah, so this is again tra- trainee, the seka is someone who, seka comes from the word sika. Sika is, well, anyway, doesn't mean much either, but sika means training. Seka means one who trains and becomes stronger. And aseka is one who is no longer training. It's a, an enlightened, an arahat. So then the neither is an ordinary person. But in the world, the nature of such and such beings is called their habit, sila, of which they say, this one is of happy habit, sila. This one is of unhappy habit. This one is of quarrelsome habit. This one is of dandified habit. Because of that, it is said in the Patisambhida, figuratively, three kinds of virtue, habit, profitable virtue, unprofitable virtue, and indeterminate virtue. So it is called, it is also called of three kinds as profitable and so on. Of these, the unprofitable is not included here since it has nothing with whatever to do with the headings beginning with the characteristic which define virtue in the sense intended in this chapter. So the threefoldness should be understood only in the way already stated. The meaning is here, some some people add another triad. But it's not proper here. It's 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 true for the word sila, but it's not proper here because that's not the type of sila we're talking about. We're only talking about profitable sila. Otherwise, it doesn't fit in the Visuddhimagga. In the first of the tetras, the unvirtuous he cultivates. He visits not the virtuous. And in his ignorance he sees no fault in a transgression here. With wrong thoughts, often in his mind, his faculties he will not guard. Virtue is such a con- virtue is such a constitution, comes to partake of 
diminution. But he whose mind is satisfied with virtue that has been achieved, who, who never thinks to stir himself and takes a meditation subject up, contended with mere virtuousness, not striving for a higher state, his virtue bears the appellation of that partaking of stagnation. But who, possessed of virtue, strives with concentration for his aim? That bhikkhu's virtue is in its function, it is called partaking of distinction. Who finds mere virtue not enough, but has dispassion for his goal, his virtue through, through such aspiration comes to partake of the penetration. So it is of four kinds, as partaking of diminution and so on. Was that saying something about um, a meditator who takes a meditation subject and never thinks to stir himself up? Is is that making a comment on like a samatha meditation? No, it's saying who never thinks to take a meditation subject up. Ah, okay, thank you. Who never thinks to stir himself, stir himself and take a meditation subject up. Never thinks to do either of those things. Ah, okay, thank you. Bhante, can you read 40? In the second tetrad, there are training precepts announced for bhikkhus to keep, irrespective of what is announced for bhikkhunis. This is the virtue of bhikkhus. There are training precepts announced for bhikkhunis to keep, irrespective of what is announced for bhikkhus. This is the virtue of bhikkhunis. The ten precepts of virtue for male and female novices are the virtue of the not fully admitted. The five training precepts, ten when possible, as a permanent undertaking, and eight as the factors of the Uposita day, for male and female lay followers, are the virtue of the laity. So it is of four kinds as the virtue of bhikkhus and so on. In the third tetrad, the non-transgression of the part of Uttarakuru's human beings is natural virtue. Each clan's or locality's or sect's own rules of conduct are customary virtue. The virtue of the Bodhisattva's mother described thus. It is the necessary rule, Ananda, that when the Bodhisattva descended into his mother's womb, no thought of man that is connected with the cords of sense desire comes to her. It is necessary virtue. But the virtue of such pure beings as Mahakasapa and so forth, and the Bodhisattva, in his various births, is virtue due to previous causes. So it is of four kinds as natural virtue, and so on. Okay, so explain a little bit of these. The, uh, the Uttarakuru are, according to the commentaries, these were the people that the Buddha taught the Mahasatipatthana Sutta to, among other suttas. And he chose that location because they were naturally inclined to keep the precepts and naturally inclined to um, be mindful. Customary virtue means according to your tradition. You know, like in Canada, we have laws, and that's our virtue. Um, there are certain laws surrounding, natural laws surrounding a Buddha, and one of them is the mothers not having any having any sensual desire, sexual desire. Um, and due to previous causes, Mahakasapa was was heavily into ascetic practices, and the Bodhisatta had cultivated morality from past lives. What's the meaning there? In the fourth head, the virtue described by the Blessed One thus, here a bhikkhu dwells restrained with the patimoka restraint, uh, 
possessed of the proper conduct and resort, and seeing fear in the slightest fault, he trains himself by undertaking the precepts of training, is virtue of patimoka restraint. Be that described thus, on seeing a visible object with the eye, he apprehends neither the signs nor the particulars through which, if he left the eye faculty unguarded, evil and unprofitable states of covetousness and grief might invade him. He enters upon the way of its restraint. He guards the eye faculty, undertakes the restraint of the eye faculty. On hearing a sound with the ear, on smelling an odor with the nose, on tasting a flavor with the tongue, on touching a tangible object with the body, on cognizing a mental object with the mind, he apprehends neither the signs nor the particulars through which, if he left the mind faculty unguarded, evil and unprofitable states of covetousness and grief might invade him. He enters upon the way of its restraint. He guards the mind faculty, undertakes the restraint of the mind faculty, is virtue of restraint of the sense faculties. C. Abstinence from such long livelihood as entails transgressions of transgression of the six training precepts announced with respect to livelihood and entails the evil states beginning with scheming, talking, hinting, belittling, pursuing gain with gain is virtue of livelihood verification. And D. Use of the four requisites that is purified by the reflection stated in the way beginning reflecting wisely he uses the only for protection from the cold is called virtue concerning requisites this is the chattuparisuddha sila this is the fourfold purification of morality it's quite well known it's an important set to remember or useful anyway Thank you. Matthew, can you read 43? Yep. Here is an explanatory exposition together with a word commentary, commentary starting from the beginning. Here in this dispensation, a bhikkhu, a clansman who has gone forth out of faith and is so styled because he sees fear in the rounds of rebirth, or because he wears cloth garments that are torn and pieced together, and so on. Restrained with the patimoka restraint, here, patimoka, rule of the community, is the virtue of the training precepts, for it frees him who protects it, guards it, and it sets him free from the pains of the states of loss, etc. That is why it is called patimoka. Restraint is restraining. This is a term for bodily and verbal non-transgression. The patimoka itself as restraint is patimoka restraint. Restrained with the patimoka restraint, is restrained by means of the restraint consisting in that patimoka. He has it, possesses it, it is the meaning, dwells, bears himself in one of the postures. The wording there seemed a little bit confusing to me. <laughs> that's a word commentary, that's a common... Uh common sort of passage to find in the commentaries. Just explaining each of the words. Thank you. Richard, can you read 44? The meaning of possessed of the proper conduct and resort, etc., should be understood in the way in which it is given in the text. For it is, it, for it is said, possessed of the proper conduct and resort. There is proper conduct and improper conduct. Herein, what is improper conduct? Bodily transgression, verbal transgression, bodily and verbal transgression. This is called impro improper conduct. Also, unvirtuous. Also, all unvirtuousness is improper conduct. Here, someone makes a livelihood by, by gifts of bamboo, or by gifts of leaves, or by gifts of flowers, fruits, bathing, powder, and and toothsticks, or by flattery, or by bean soupery, or by fondling, 
or by giving up giving on errands on foot or by one of others of a sort of wrong livelihood condemned by the Buddhas. This is called improper conduct. Hearing what is proper conduct? Bodily non-transgression, verbal non-transgression, bodily and verbal non-transgression. This is called proper conduct. Also, all restraint through virtue is proper conduct. Here, someone does not make a livelihood by gifts of bamboos, or by gifts of leaves, or by gifts of flowers, fruits, bathing powder, and two sticks, or by flattery, or by being supery, or by fondling, or by going on errands on foot, or by one of the other of the sort of wrong livelihood condemned by the Buddhas. This is called proper conduct. Yeah, what's wrong with um with gifts of bamboos? <laughs> the um, this is for monks specifically. The point here is oh, um, the whole. It's making livelihood by by incurring favor with people, which is not appropriate for monks because the people feel obligated to to give in return. You know, monks don't have money, but they can go and find something in the forest and give it to the lay people. It's 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 wrong livelihood because it upset it destroys the whole purpose of being a monk in terms of not not obsessing over such things. So when you intentionally give gifts for the purpose of uh, incurring favor with someone, this is it's I guess a form you could even consider it a form of bribery. And I mean, in a worldly sense, it's. Uh, par for the course, and, and in between monks, it's certainly not that way. But you know, when you consider that the lay, these lay people, we're referring to lay people who support the monks, the monks um, spend their time trying to incur favor with them. That's the problem. Be, it's all considered being super. Being super is the term for for much of this. Being super means giving something, um, just a token gift. In the hopes of something greater, being soup being something sort of inconsequential, and hoping to get something useful like better food, I guess. Yeah, and um, for thirty, for thirty, that will pass thirty. Um, about, um. Yeah, 30 about on the temporary virtue and the lifelong virtue. Alright, but temporary virtue, would that be like um being mindful and um the, the lifelong virtue would be the would be the intention of um intention to be mindful? Sorry, what are you, what are you looking at? Thirty. We passed thirty already, but I went back to thirty. Oh okay. Scroll up. Sorry, what's the question? Yeah, um, what would be an example of temporary virtue and lifelong virtue? Uh, you know, a simple, a simple example would be someone who becomes a monk for a certain time and then disrobes. Mm. Or a, a lay person who comes to the monastery to temporarily keep eight or even ten precepts. Um, for the five precepts, I suppose it's less common for someone to say, I'm going to keep five precepts for a week, but... But in Thailand they do that, so in they they'll vow to keep to not drink alcohol during the rains. When the monks do the rains, the lay people will stop drinking alcohol. Mm. That happens in Thailand. of lifelong lifelong a good example I suppose is a person who becomes a sotapanna and will never break the rules again yeah. but it could also just refer to someone who says they're going to keep them precepts their whole life or intends to keep them their whole life sometimes yeah. you set out intending to keep them for a short time like the eight precepts
proper resort, there is proper resort and improper resort. Here in what is improper resort? Here someone has prostitutes as a resort, or has widows, old maids, eunuchs, bakunis, or taverns as resort. Or he dwells associated with kings, kings' ministers, sectarians, sectarians' disciples, in unbecoming association with laymen. Or he cultivates, frequents, honors such families as are faithless, untrusting, abusive, and rude, who wishes harm, wishes ill, wishes woe, wish no sur surcease of bondage, or bikus and bikunis for male and female devotees. This is called improper resort. Here in what is proper resort, here someone does not have prostitutes as resort or taverns as resort. He does not dwell associated with kings, sectarians' disciples, in unbecoming association with laymen. He cultivates, frequents, honors such families as are faithful and trusting, who are a solace, where the yellow cloth glows, where the breeze of the sages blows, who wish goodwill, who wish goodwill, wish joy, wish surcease of bondage for bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, for male and female devotees. This is called proper resort. Thus he is furnished with, fully furnished with, provided with, fully provided with, supplied with, possessed of, endowed with, this proper conduct and this proper resort. Hence it is said, possessed of the proper conduct and resort. Furthermore, proper conduct and resort should also be understood here in the following way. For improper conduct is twofold as bodily and verbal. Herein, what is bodily improper conduct? Here someone acts disrespectfully before the community, and he stands jostling elder bhikkhus, sits jostling them, stands in front of them, sits in front of them, sits on a high seat, sits with his head covered, talks standing up, talks waving his arms, talks with sandals while elder bhikkhus walk without sandals, walks on a high walk while they walk on a low walk, walks on a walk while they walk on the ground, stands pushing elder bhikkhus, sits pushing them, prevents new bhikkhus from getting a seat, and in the bathhouse, without asking elder bhikkhus, he puts wood on the stove, on the stove, bolts the door and the bathing place. He enters the water, jostling elder bhikkhus, enters it in front of them, bathes, jostling them, bathes in front of them, comes out, jostling them, comes out in front of them, and entering inside a house, he he goes jostling elder bhikkhus, goes in front of them, pushing forward, he goes in front of them, and where families have inner private screamed rooms, he in which the women of the family, the girls of the family sit there, he enters ab abruptly and he strokes a child's head. This is called bodily improper conduct. It sounds a little bit weird, I suppose, reading this, but a lot of this is directly referring to rules and and the code of conduct of monks and all the, its various minor details. As you can see, it's quite detailed. And so it's quite terse to just read it like this. You say, where it comes out of left field, this whole stroking the child's head, right? But uh, it's referring to something bigger in terms of improper um, improper association with lay people, where a monk sits fondling the baby, and it has to do with either incurring favor or, or simply uh, getting too caught up with, with you know, people who are not monastic in the sense of... Um, have being of a mind of a, a worldly sort of bent of you know inclining the mind towards worldly things worldly enjoyment etc and a lot of the other stuff up there is in in regards to you know there, there are direct rules against a lot of that stuff of how to behave when especially in regards to senior your seniors in terms of respecting and proper conduct. It's a lot, a lot to do with mindfulness.
and conscientiousness in the sense of of bringing meditation into every aspect of your life and applying it to everything you do. What is verbal improper conduct? Here someone acts disrespectfully before the community. Without asking Elder Bhikkhus, he talks on the Dharma, answers questions, recites the Potimoka, talks standing up, talks waving his arms. Having entered inside a house, he speaks to women or a girl thus, you, so-and-so, of such-and-such such a clan, what is there? Is there rice gruel? Is there cooked rice? Is there any hard food to eat? What shall we drink? What hard food shall we eat? What soft food shall we eat? Or what will you give me? He chatters like this. This is called verbal improper conduct. Yeah, so you'll see, you're going to see this often where a lot of this is only applicable to monks, obviously. I mean, but, but you know, loosely applicable to lay people in the sense that you can you can also consider this in, in terms of uh, hinting for things or, or mooching off of other people. You know, why do we say the things that we say? Is it to incur favor and gain and to help ourselves? Certainly it's sort of things that lay people fall into at least as easily as monks. Uh, why is it improper to talk on the Dhamma without asking elder bhikkhus? It's part of the the harmony of the community. The elder bhikkhu has the, the duty to, not the duty, the, the privilege, I guess, to um, designate who's going to teach. I mean... Imagine you're sitting around a bunch of monks and, and the lay people come to the monastery and, and greet the senior monks and so on. And this young upstart of a monk starts preaching to them in front of all the senior monks. That happens and it's very rude. When you've got these senior monks, what the heck is this this new guy you know, doing, showing off? It's embarrassing, really. Um, what if he has a good understanding of the Dhamma? If it's he still, does, then he'll, uh, he'll, he'll wait to be asked. He's to being teach. conceitful. Sure. Well, if he, if he has a good understanding of the Dhamma, then he'll certainly wait <laughs> to be allowed to speak. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a sign that someone doesn't have a good understanding of the Dhamma when they go out of turn to teach. You know, a person who has good understanding of the Dhamma knows duty and and propriety. You know, what is proper when, what is appropriate. And um, they very much think in terms of, of doing things when it's there, when they're called upon. They don't go out of their way to, to, you know, be the teacher. When they're called upon to teach, they teach. And so when lay people come to the monastery, the senior monk thinks, it's my duty as the senior monk to teach. Or to assign one of the junior monks to teach, which is what often happens. So he says to one of the junior monks, you know, will you give a talk on the Dhamma to these lay people? Just how it, that's how the Vinaya goes. And it's, so you see, there's a lot of things about monastic life that's it's just uh, unknown to It's a surprise to people. When you read this sort of text, as this is going to go in deep detail in regards to the way monks live their lives. I know deep detail, but it's gonna you're gonna see some things that you probably never th thought of. Like this. Thank you. Bante, would you read forty eight? Proper conduct should be understood in the opposite sense to that. Furthermore, a bhikkhu is respectful, deferential, possessed of conscience and shame wears his inner robe properly, wears his upper robe properly. His manner inspires confidence, whether in moving forwards or backwards, looking ahead or aside, bending or stretching. His eyes are downcast, he has a good deportment, 
He guards the doors of his sense faculties, knows the right measure in eating, is devoted to wakefulness, possesses mindfulness and full awareness, wants little, is contented, is strenuous, is a careful observer of good behavior, and treats the teachers with great respect. This is called proper conduct. That's a good quote. Someone should put that on Facebook. <laughs> At least it would be a true one, right? Maybe I'll put that on. Well, it's not a Buddha quote. It's Buddhaghosa. But that sums it up, I think. Thank you. Aurora, would you read 49? Yes. Proper resort is of three kinds. Proper resort is support. Proper resort is guarding, and proper resort is anchoring. Herein, what is proper resort is support. A good friend who exhibits the instances of talk, and whose presence one hears what has not been heard, corrects what has been heard, gets rid of doubt, rectifies one view, and gains confidence, or by training under whom one grows in faith, virtue, learning, generosity, and understanding, this is called proper resort as support. I'm sorry, I didn't realize typing was going to send out sound. I apologize for that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. What is proper resort as guarding? Here a bhikkhu, having entered inside a house, having gone into a street, goes with downcast eyes, seeing the length of a plow yoke, restrained, not looking, not looking at an elephant, not looking at a horse, a carriage, a pedestrian, a woman, a man, not looking up, not looking down, not staring this way or that. This is called proper resort as guarding. What is proper resort as anchoring? It is the four foundations of mindfulness on which the mind is anchored. For this is said by the Blessed One, Bhikkhus, what is a Bhikkhus resort, his own native place? It is the four foundations of mindfulness. This is called proper resort as anchoring. Being thus furnished with, endowed with, this proper conduct and this proper resort, he is also on that account called one possessed of proper conduct and resort. Just an, a note in case it's a little bit confusing as to why he's picking these words. All of this is, is again, word commentary for a specific quote of the Buddha that uh, that was mentioned above in regards to the Patimokkha. So this is actually going a bit off on a, ta off on a tangent based on the Buddha's words on how one should keep the Patimokkha as well as many other things, and that's referring to all this stuff. So this last one was Achara Gochara Sampan, Sampana, one who is... Uh, possessed of proper conduct and resort. But it's a it's a long quote that he's going through. All of this still has to do with Patimokkha, which in, in its essence is only keeping rules. But when the in this Buddhist in the court of the Buddha there's a lot of other aspects. A resort, um, the actual word is gochara. Gochara means go means uh, means cow actually. Refer a buffalo or a cow. In fact, the word cow probably comes from go, or it comes from a similar root as the word go, go and cow. Um, that's just a guess, actually, I would imagine. And jara means the the place of, of wandering or traveling or, or bearing. So it's a pasture. And this is a common word used to describe appropriate... Um, territory so there's what what is appropriate resort but you know pasture in this in in literally and proper pasture yeah with regards um, to walking um the don't cast eyes yeah, i've tried it before i've tried it a few times but i don't know i find it difficult Sorry, maybe because what? i'm trying to do it um, Walking with downcast eyes. Oh, downcast eyes. Okay. Yeah, I find it difficult to do. Maybe because I'm trying to do it. That's most likely the reason. 
Um, well, it, it, uh, on a busy street, you can easily do that because you have to keep your attention on traffic and so on. But yes, definitely, that's a, a part of it. When monk, monks go into the village, when we leave our monastery, it's a part of our morality to not look around, to try and keep down cast eyes. Yeah. I used to actually, I used to work like that, but no, find it difficult. <laughs> Can your eyes be too far downcast? Like, I find that if it's too close to, uh, you, you go into your mind too much, you start thinking and your mind wanders. So, is there a balance between how close, how down your eyes should be and how looking how much looking forward they should be yeah it says up there looking ahead about a yokes but six foot forward thank you Richard can you read 52 seeing fear in the slightest seeing fear in the slightest faults one who has a habit, Sila, of seeing fear in, in faults of the minutest measure of such kinds and un, as unintentional contraventing of a minor training rule is of the of the patty mocha or the arising of unprofitable thoughts. He trains himself by undertaking samadaya, the precepts of training, whether there, whether there is amongst the precepts of training to be trained in all that he trains by t- Sama Adaya and here as far as the words one restrained by the Patimoka restraint virtue of Patimoka restraint is shown by discourse in terms of persons all the beginnings all that beginning with the words possessed of proper conduct and resort should be understood as said in order to show the way of practice that perfects perfects the virtue in him who so practices it. Just if it's not clear, the word shouldn't be fear, it should be danger. But bayab can mean both fear and danger, so it's seeing danger in the slightest fault. Yeah, and comes in. I'm seeing danger in the slightest fault. Um, when the reaction is is um is worry how how should that be handled mindfully worry is a, or, is a, one of the hindrances so you should be yeah. mindful of it seeing it arise and seeing what causes it to arise and learning to change your habits so you're no longer worried you know like the judgment the judgment is what really mm. triggers it yeah Now, as regards the virtue of restraint of faculties shown next to that in the way beginning on seeing a visible object with the eye, herein he is a bhikkhu established in the virtue of the Pantimoka restraint, on seeing a visual object with the eye, on seeing a visual object with the eye consciousness that is capable of seeing a visual object and has borrowed the name eye from its instrument. But the ancients said, the eye does not see a vis- visual object because it has no mind. The mind does not see because it has no eyes. But when there is the impingement of door, an object, he sees by means of the consciousness that has eye sensitivity as its physical base basis. Now, an idiom such as this is called an accessory locution, like he shot him with his bow, and so on. So the meaning here is this, on seeing a visual object with eye consciousness. Yeah, the point is you, the eye doesn't see eye. It's clear, right? It, he's being a bit technical here. Okay. Apprehends neither the signs. He does not apprehend the sign of woman, of woman, or man, or any sign that is a basis for defilement, such as the sign of beauty, etc. He stops at what is merely seen, nor the particulars. He does not apprehend any aspect classed 
at hand, as hand, foot, smile, laughter, talk, looking ahead, looking aside, etc., which he has acquired the name particular, an anubayan jana, because of its particular particularizing, uh, particularizing anu anu bayan janato defilements because of its making them manifest themselves he only apprehends what is really there like the elder Mahatisa who dwelt at uh, Siti Bhabhata anyone who who are interested uh, C in Pali is always Cha and the letter E is always A those are two of the tricks and two of the main tricks in Pali to remember. C is always cha, E is always A. So that's Jetia Babata. What's up on the bar over the N and the bar over the N? There shouldn't be a bar over the N. There'll be a squiggly line over the N. Yeah. The squiggly line is Nya. But we have that in English as well. But Nya. And dot over the N you can just ignore dots under the N and the D and the T. You can't ignore, but if you do ignore them, you won't sound that weird. Mm. The T um, under them should be retroflex, but it's not a big deal. But the dot under them. How about a line over the A? Long. Like Mansan. The N would have a dot over it, right? Yeah, if it's got a dot over the N, it's not a big deal because in English, and that dot over the N is only going to come before K or G anyway. So it's always going to be ung or unk. Yeah. yeah. So, so we already do that in English without the dot. But technically, it's a, it's not an N anymore. It's an ung. I think on the on the Surrey Mongolo page, there's a really good pronunciation guide. If if you go to the SurreyMongolo.org page and click on um, either chanting or taking refuge, one of those. But in amongst the um, the Pali version for taking refuge, underneath it, there's a, a really good pronunciation guide. Yeah, I think I took that from from Access to Insight. It's not ours. Oh, okay, it's good anyway. Yeah. I'm wondering if anybody might think this might be a good point to call it for today. It's, it's almost two o'clock. Yeah, you, what were we going to do, an hour and a half every time, or what was the goal? Yeah, we were going to do an hour and a half. We, we okay. lost track of time. So no, I, I didn't. I didn't, but I, you know, I, for me it was it was only an hour and a half, so I was going to let it go to two. But yeah, oh. you, you guys have been here since 12, so sorry about that. Thanks, everyone. That was anyway oh, thank a good, you. good session. Sure, thanks. Thank yeah, you, Martha. I've set an alarm, so I'll hopefully be here next time on time. Oh, thank you. Anyway. Be well, everyone. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Have bye. Thank you. Thank you, Bronte. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Take peace. care, all. I'll see you next week. <laughs>